Good to see you this morning. And if you're joining us today, we're so glad you're here. If you're joining us online, thank you for joining us. We're super excited about what this morning has to offer because we've been in this series called Imago Day for the last few weeks. And it's all about this idea that we are made in the image of God and how being made in the image of God then translates into different areas of our life. And this morning is no different. Now, if you don't know me, I'm Pastor Nick, the junior high pastor. And I I'm going to be talking about something that means a whole lot to me this morning because it's something that in my own life I've had to struggle with, I've had to learn, I've had to be shown what it means to truly be an image bearer of Jesus. And so I hope that this morning as we study God's word and as we look through what he's going to teach us this morning that you can relate to what we're going to be talking about. But before we get into that, we have to lay down some ground rules for where we're going. See, this morning we're talking about how we have been made for relationships, We have been made for relationships. God himself has crafted us to be in his image, which means we are made to reflect who he is. And so we were made for relationships because God himself is the perfect example of relationship. So to do that, we're going to be starting here by looking at some verses in the book of Colossians. So if you haven't grabbed notes and you need to grab some, they're in the back. Otherwise, if you have the NBC app, you can pull it up on your phone, and you can click at the top link there to Colossians, and it'll open up your Bible app and bring you right to the verse. Or if you have your paper Bible, you can open it up to Colossians as we get started this morning. So follow along with me, Colossians 1, 15 through 20. The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth. Visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers, rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all of his fullness dwell within him. And through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Now, it's Paul who's writing this book to the church in Colossae, and he's writing, talking about the way that we live, the way that we love, the way that we act is a representation of Jesus. But he specifically focuses on the, in the first chapter here, on the background of who Jesus is. Who Jesus is in light of the supremacy of his very nature, being the second person of the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, and the Son being the image of the invisible God. We were made in the image of God, but Jesus himself is God in the flesh. He is God in the flesh, perfect in every way, the perfect, righteous, holy image of God of the invisible God. And this is important to understand because we have to understand how Jesus himself relates to God the Father for us to be able to understand why it is we were made for relationships. So as I was studying and and working on the sermon this weekend, uh, for this weekend, I came across another sermon uh, from a student who's currently at Moody. His name's Stephen Harrison. And uh, every now and then I'll, I'll see professors that I went, as I went to Moody, I see professors post sermons of their current students and I get a chance to check them out. And so Stephen Harrison was giving the sermon and he talks about this idea of the Trinity and who Jesus is in light of that. And I love the way he puts this, so I wanna share this with you. Jesus Christ, the second person of the Trinity is the creator and sustainer of all creation. 
Now, it is the confession of the church based on the revelation of the scriptures that God is three in one. God is one being who eternally exists as three distinct, co-equal, co-eternal persons. In a word, God is triune. There are not three gods, there is one God. And this one God eternally exists as three persons. Now, here is what is so beautiful about the Trinitarian life of God. Within the Trinity is perfect fellowship and perfect love. In other words, the Father from everlasting to everlasting has always loved the Son. The Father does not glory in his own personhood. He does not think exclusively of himself. He does not retain all of his love for himself, but he from everlasting to everlasting has loved the Son. And the Father orients his personhood to the good of the Son. And in like manner, from everlasting to everlasting, the Son loves the Father. The Son does not glory in his own personhood. He does not think exclusively of himself. He does not retain all of his love for himself. But from everlasting to everlasting, the Son loves the Father. And he orients his personhood to the good of the Father. And the Holy Spirit himself is the bond of love between the two. Now, none of the persons of the Trinity are focused solely on themselves. None of the distinct persons of this one being are consumed with their own personhood, for they are love, and they are oriented towards the other. Now, here's the point you need to catch. See, God himself is the very definition of community and relationship. Man, now being made in the image of God, who is this inherently relational being, therefore, as part of our own DNA, we humans have been made to be oriented in fellowship to God and others. And I love the way he ties us in here with this. This way, the way that we render glory to Jesus is by living in harmonious, self-sacrificial, others-oriented love and fellowship with other people. Yes, we sing, yes, we clap, yes, we work, but ultimately we were made for loving fellowship with God and other persons. God made us humans to share in what he has experienced himself since eternity past, and that's the joy of being known by another person, the joy of giving to another person, the joy of caring for another person, and that's why God says to Adam, shortly after creating him, it is not suitable for man to be alone. See, God himself God himself, Jesus, as the image of God, that perfect image, has always been in relation with himself. God did not create us because he was lonely. He did not create us because he was desperate, but rather we were made in the image of God, being made in the image of God for his glory, which means being made in the image of God means we were made not for ourselves, but for God. Being made in the very image of God means we were not made for ourselves, but for God. He is that perfect example of relationship and unity and fellowship and community. Which brings us to the verse that has kind of unified all of these sermons for the last few weeks in the Imago Dei series, and that's Genesis 1, 26 to 28. It says this, God said, let us make man in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, over the livestock, and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds of the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. So if we know that we're made in the image of God to give him glory, then we see something unique here and that's this decree, be fruitful and increase in number. Now this is Genesis chapter one. Depending on the font of your Bible, this is page one. 
And there is a decree here from God himself saying, be fruitful and multiply. Be fruitful and expand in number. See, Genesis 1 is the overview of creation because right after this, it says God saw all that he made and said it was very good. Genesis 2, we get a little more specific into the details of creating Adam and Eve. In Genesis 3, we see that they chose to not trust God and instead believe the lie of Satan over the truth of God's word and sin and death enter the world. That's chapter three. This is chapter one. Chapter one, God is saying, be fruitful and multiply. Be fruitful and increase in number, meaning that from the very beginning, God had intended for us to be in relationship with others, that there would be more than just Adam and Eve, that we would be in relationship not only with God, as he said, being made in the image of God means we were made not for ourselves but for God, but also being made in the image of God means we were made not for ourselves but for others, but for others. God himself being that perfect example of relationship. We were made for God's glory. The chief end of man is to glorify God, but we were also made for others. Tim Keller puts it this way. Then the Bible says that human beings were made in God's image. That means among other things that we were created to worship and live for God's glory, not our own. We were made to serve God and others. That means paradoxically that if we try to put our own happiness ahead of obedience to God, we violate our own nature and become ultimately miserable. Jesus even restates this principle when he says, whoever wants to save his life shall lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it in Matthew 16. What he's saying is if you seek happiness more than you seek me, you will have neither. If you seek to serve me more than you serve happiness, you will have both. When we look at this picture of how we are supposed to be image bearers of God, that means we were made not for ourselves, but for God, and not for ourselves, but for other people, for others. And this is a difficult concept to understand, right? Because this world, because of sin and death, has shown us in our culture that it's all about me. What have you done for me lately? Right? Oh, this thing broke. I'll just buy a new one because, oh, this is nice. It's not even broke. I just want a new one. I'm going to do what I want for myself. We are in a selfish world where we focus on ourselves. And that is true whether you want to admit it to yourself or not. We think first of ourselves before we think of others most often. And for me, this really came to fruition because I didn't, I, didn't, I didn't see myself as necessarily a selfish person growing up. You know, I had those moments where it's like, I really want that, so I'm going to take that. But I didn't see myself overall as a selfish person until I got married. This is a picture of my wife and I on our wedding day. And as you can see, it rained that day. We're under this polka dot umbrella that we found laying around like the atrium of the church that we got married at. And we took some photos outside. But it was supposed to be sunny and beautiful. In fact, the night before at our rehearsal dinner, the sun was shining. We did everything outside. And the plan was to have the wedding outside. And it was supposed to be wonderful. In fact, the weather was calling for beautiful, sunshiny morning that Friday we were supposed to get married. And then it wouldn't rain until later that evening. But I remember waking up the day of the wedding at my friend's house and, and hearing the pitter-patter of rain on the roof and on the windows and just thinking, oh no, now we have to move everything inside and, and, and figure out all these other issues and this is not what I was expecting for this day. I wasn't expecting rain. I was expecting sunshine 
and beauty. And if I'm honest with you, and I think my wife would agree, that we had that same idea for the first few years of our marriage. We should expect sunshine and beauty in this relationship. But if you've been married for more than a day, you know that's not true, right? Because the rains come. The rains come, the storm hits, and now all of a sudden the expectation is shattered and reality sets in. This is not what I was expecting. And so for me, learning that, that I was made in the image of God, made for him and made for others, was not totally there yet early on in my marriage. Early on in this relationship, I was still in this selfish mentality of this is for me. You were created for me, to serve me, to take care of me, to help me, because I'm a grown man, but I don't want to do it myself. And I had this misconstrued concept of what this marriage relationship was supposed to look like. But not only that, that I had my own expectations for marriage, but Joy had her own expectations for the marriage as well. And so all of a sudden, we're coming into conflict, into disagreement, into arguments, heads butting, where things are not going the way they are supposed to. So much so that we were on the verge of maybe this not working out at all. This is year two or three of our marriage. And we wanted to seek help. We didn't know what to do. We were going to a different church at the time. I wasn't on staff here. And we, we decided, oh, there's this marriage small group. We'll jump in with them and, and get a chance to talk to them. And, and so we buy the books and we go to the small group and meet with the small group leaders. And I kid you not, all these problems happening. We go, listen, this is what's going on in our marriage. We really need help. So we came here, you know, can you teach us? Can you guide us? And they said, you've only been married for a few years. You don't have real problems. How does, you don't, I, I didn't know what to say. We were on the verge of a collapse, fighting all the time, having a false perception of what our relationship should look like. And so thankfully my wife was smarter than I am, as she often is. And she thought of one of our old professors at Moody, Dr. Ronald Sauer, called him and his wife and they came out to where we were living and they met with us. And I remember Dr. Sauer talking to, to us and specifically to me because of my false perceptions saying, listen, you have to have your relationship in an open palm because this is God's gift to you and he gave it to you, but it's not yours. And you have to have it in open palm because sometimes what this means in your relationships with people is that you're going to have to go through struggles together, walking through the most difficult moments together. Sometimes that means you need a little bit of a, a break to figure out what this is to, to, to be able to focus on each other. And so for me, like, I, I was a really angry person. And I, I can still get angry. But I was a really angry person and I... <laughs> often had my foot in my mouth when I was angry. So when we would get into an argument about something, Joy wanted to hash it out right away so we knew exactly where we were, what page we were on, and me, being an angry foot-in-the-mouth type person, could never get a word out that made sense. So we'd be fighting, arguing about something, and of course she was often right, and I'd be like, you don't, I foot, face, mouth, couldn't get words out because I hadn't even had time to comprehend what was going on. 
So one of the things we had to learn was that we needed to take some time from each other before we got a chance to communicate. So I could process, okay, what just happened? If I'm wrong, why am I wrong? If I'm right, how do I communicate that without being angry? And so we walked through this time in our life where we had to relearn who we are made in the image of God. And we had to relearn who God was making each other to be in light of our relationship. And Dr. Seller helped us with that. And he brought us to a section of verses that maybe you're familiar with in Ephesians 5. Now, if you've ever been in junior high or high school, and if you're a guy who's been in junior high or high school, and you know this verse, then you probably had a similar experience the first time you heard it. See, this is the section of verses as Paul is talking that says, wives, submit to your husband. And as a junior high guy, as a high school guy, when I heard this verse, I'm like, I said, see, this is great. Marriage is going to be awesome. But I had the wrong perspective. I was foolish in what I believed Scripture was saying. And in fact, if you go back to the very beginning of chapter 5 in Ephesians, Paul says, in all things, you should be an example of Christ to the people around you. You should echo his life, in a sense. And that's where we got the idea for the echo ministry, that that is Ephesians 5, 1, the theme verse for echo, that you echo out Jesus' life in the way that you live, love, and act. But then Paul ends this chapter with the section of verses for husbands and wives, and this is what he says. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Now, it's really easy to skip over that one because, again, as a junior high, high school guy, someone who didn't understand this, I was more concerned with what came next. Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church, his body, of which he is the Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. And for me, again, it was very easy to say, close the book, that's all I need. But I was wrong. I was wrong. And my perspective on marriage and on this relationship between me and my wife was at a point that I had to readjust the way that I saw her and the way that I saw our marriage. So we keep reading, husbands, love your wives, just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or blemish, but holy and blameless. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated their own body, but they feed it and care for it, just as Christ does the church. For we are members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I am talking about Christ and the church. However, each one of you also must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. And so it'd be very easy to say that these verses then are solely about marriage, when Paul is really trying to paint a picture of something greater than a, the love a man has for his wife or a wife has for her husband, but rather it comes down to one word, love. And I'm not talking Disney fairy tale love. I'm not talking romantic comedy, there's a dog in a park love. I'm not talking I'll have what she's having love. I'm not talking romance novel love. 
I'm talking true, authentic, real love that Jesus himself describes in John 15 as greater love knows no one than this, than he who would lay down his life for his friends. True, real love. This is a kind of love that then subverts lording, power plays, quid pro quos, demeaning servitude and abuse. It's a love that consists of mutual submission and loyalty first to God because the greatest commandment is to love him with all of our hearts. So the challenge then isn't headship versus submission or one or the other, but truly loving God and allowing his love to transform our relationships. Like Christ loved the church, the husband must love and sacrifice for his bride. Like Christ submits to the father, the wife must submit to her husband. The son lovingly submits to the father who has only ever loved the son. They've had that perfect relationship for eternity, and the son delights to do the will of the father. The son, of course, then displays this intense love to his church as he dies on the cross. This picture is what is painted here in Ephesians 5, that this love is not some fairy tale type of thing that you feel for a few days and now you have to figure it out, but true, authentic love that means I would give my life for you. And because Jesus died for me, I'm going to love you the way that he loves me. And it's not perfect by any means, but I want to be transformed by the renewing of my mind because of what Christ has done, and because I am transformed, I want to live a life of love and act out that love the way that the church acts out the love of Christ as the hands and feet of Jesus because of what he's done for us. Kathy Keller, the wife of Tim Keller, who I quoted earlier, says this about uh, this section of verses. She says that both husbands and wives get a chance to reflect Jesus in their marriage, that that's the point. This kind of mutual Christ-likeness provides dignity honor, love, and respect for both the husband and the wife. So now, knowing that God has made us in his image, meaning that we were made to give him glory for relationship with him, but also made for relationship with others, this idea of true authentic love should then change the way we see other people. And in the context of marriage, in the context of a marriage relationship, that means now I see my spouse as someone uniquely created by God with a purpose. I see my spouse now as uniquely created by God with a purpose. Joy isn't there to just serve my needs, take care of me, and to fulfill that purpose as a wife and mother, but rather she has her own passions, her own hobbies, her own excitements, her own joys, her own sorrows, her own fears, her own doubts, because God has uniquely crafted her with a purpose. And I have to see that. When I look at her, I have to think of Ephesians 2.10, for we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God has prepared in advance for us to do. And that word workmanship meaning masterpiece, that each of us, each of us have been crafted, created as God's masterpiece in his image to do good works with a purpose. And that purpose is more than just wife and mother, husband and father, but as God's child, that he's instilled in us that image-bearing love. And so I see my spouse as uniquely created by God with a purpose, but I also see our marriage as designed by God to reflect the relationship between Christ and the church. Because the way that I live and the way that I love and the way that I act now, people see. Specifically in my context, my kids see that. The way that I live and love and act towards my wife, my children see every day. 
And I don't want them to just see that this is the way that you should treat someone that you love and care about, but truly I want them to see a reflection of what Christ has done for his church. That this is authentic and real love. And so, after two or three years, we were in this state of struggle, of pain, of fighting, thinking this may not work the way we thought it would because our expectations and reality were two different things. And we sought that help and things started working out much better as we began to understand that we are crafted and created as individuals in the image of God. And our own expectations, we have to work through that, talk through that, but we have to submit to God first and ask him to transform us so that way our love can translate into our marriage relationship. And over the years now, things have been so much better. Not perfect. Oh, we still fight. I'm still mostly wrong. But the way that we now handle that is so much more different. So much more different when we can submit to who God is first and what he has done for us and the way that we see each other and we see our marriage. And so because things are different and we care about our marriage and things are going well, last year we said, you know what, we want to invest in our marriage, not because things are rocky or having issues right now, but because God has done some amazing things in our relationship and we want to see him continue to do that. And so we decided to join Reengage last year. And if you've been through Reengage, you know exactly what I'm talking about when I say it has changed our marriage. Again, it wasn't bad or rocky or anything like that when we started. We wanted to see God continue to build us up and shape us to be more like him in our relationship with him and with each other. And as we studied, I came across these words from Paul David Tripp, the guy who's kind of crafted the curriculum, and he said this, you have to recognize you are human and you are imperfect. Okay, that's pretty easy to admit. I'm human, I'm imperfect. I mean, if I'm a follower of Christ, I should know that to begin with. But then it gets a little more difficult. You are powerless to love your spouse the way that you promised you would. Ooh. Okay. <laughs> All right. You are powerless to love your spouse the way they dreamed you would. Oh. Wow. Yeah, I guess that is totally different. You are powerless to love your spouse the way God designed that you should. Those three phrases kind of rocked me. That even though things are well, I am powerless to do this the way God has originally intended, which means that I have to rely on him to do it. And he continues, one of the best ways to improve your marriage is to draw a circle around yourself and work on changing everyone inside that circle. I am my biggest marital problem. And I had to understand that because when we were in those times of frustration and fighting and things were not going well, it was really easy for me to say, Joy, you're the problem. You fix yourself, then we'll talk. And we do that, right? We do that. Whether we're parents and we're dealing with our kids, you're not listening to me and I'm the parent, and so you have the problem. Or we're kids with our parents, well, you don't understand my plight, mom and dad. Once you learn that, you'll understand me. And we have to admit to ourselves that we are powerless in our situation to do life the way it was originally intended without God. We need God. We can't do it without him. We need him. We need him to see relationships work because he is the one who has made relationships. He has lived in relationship within himself and he crafted us for relationship with him and with others. And so now 
when I look at this image of Joy and I on our wedding day, I don't see a picture of shattered expectations. It rained, but it was beautiful. Because just like in reality and life, when rain comes, that rain on that day, it didn't draw us farther apart, but it drew us closer together. It brought us closer together as we huddled under that umbrella. And when storms come and the rains come and things are difficult, we should draw closer to God. And in those relationships that we depend on with our spouses, our family, we should be drawn closer together. Yes, it'll be difficult. Yes, you might have to have difficult conversations, but it is worth the effort to say, God, I need you. Transform me and help transform us to be more like you as we live, love, and act the way that Christ has done for his church and for us. So let me say this. Don't wait until you have no other options. Don't wait until it feels like the walls are crumbling, the paint is peeling on the relationships in your life. Don't wait until you're left with only resentment and coexistence. Don't let it get that far. And if things are going really well in your relationship with your spouse, invest in it. Ask God to build it up to make it stronger, to build you together in light of who he is and who he's made you to be. Because relationships are hard work, whether we are parents dealing with our kids, kids dealing with our parents, trying to understand one another, friends who've had a falling out that need to mend fences, or as like I said in this context, in our marriages, striving to be more like Christ and to love each other. It is hard work. And so for Joy and I, it eventually became this idea that we are truly building a home together. Not a house, a house is just a building. But we are building a home together. And to do so means that whether, wherever we're at, whatever we're doing, we are working together to see us succeed in light of who God made us to be. And sometimes we're the ones who put holes in the wall. We're the ones who scratch up the fine china. We're the ones who've, you know, broken something in the home that needs mending, needs fixing. But if we care about it, if we truly love the other person, then we're going to do whatever we can to repaint and fix and mend and restore what God has given us as that gift. A couple of years ago, uh, the band Sleeping At Last released a song called North that Pastor Carlos is going to sing here in just a minute as we close. And there's a few lines in there that I absolutely love. It goes like this. A little broken, a little new, we are the impact and the glue. Capable of more than we know, we call this fixer-upper home. With each year, our color fades. Slowly, our paint chips away. But we will find the strength and the nerve it takes to repaint and repaint and repaint every day. You and I have been made in the image of God, made in his image, and God himself is the perfect example of relationship, which means we have been made for relationships. We cannot do life alone. And if you're married, whether you think your marriage is excellent or in shambles, I encourage you, join a program like Reengage. Do everything you can to invest in that. If you're single, jump into a real life group because you cannot do life alone. 
If you're young or you, 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 know, you just want to get plugged in, join a ministry. Be part of what we're doing here because we, as the body of Christ, were made to do life together. We cannot do life alone. We were made for relationships. God has made us in his image to reflect the love and life and actions of his son, Jesus Christ, in all that we do. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you so much just for your goodness and your grace. This I know that you are a great God, Lord. Lord, you are the author and perfecter of our faith. Lord, you are the one who has created and sustains all. I thank you that because of your love, your true love, you chose to step down, take on flesh, and to die for us so we might have a relationship with you as you intended, as, as God himself, the one who knows relationship. You've made us for your glory and you've made us for each other. And for those here now who are either in this room or who are streaming online, who are hurting, who are in a place of brokenness, who feel like their relationships are in shambles, whether it's mothers and sons and fathers and, and sons and daughters and, and family life, whether it's friendships that are broken, whether it's marriages on the rocks, Lord, you are the sustainer, the healer, the restorer. And I pray right now, Lord, that you would step into each of those moments and be present do what it takes to restore hearts to you, to each other. Lord, I also just pray for those here now who, who maybe things are going well, but they want to invest. They want to do more. They want to be part of this community of believers. They want to be part of what you're doing. They want to be part of the fact that you, God, are doing so much good right now in their lives. So help them to see and take opportunity for moments to invest in their marriages, in their friendships, in their community to not do life alone. And I pray that you would build a wall of strength and unity around those people, Lord, that you would sustain them and build them up, encourage them, love them, show them who you are. Well, Lord, now, as we take these tithes and these offerings this morning, I pray that you would bless these gifts that we give back to you as you've given them to us, that we would not hold this as something that is something you've given to us that we can just do what we want, but rather this is a gift that we give back because of all the blessing and all the wonder and all the amazing things of who you truly are to see your kingdom and your glory upheld and maintained and glorified across this world because you are good and this we know and the good and the bad and the pain and the sorrow and the valleys of wonder and amazement and the deserts of sorrow and pain, Lord, you still remain you are constant and you are good. And I pray and thank you for all that you've done and all you will do in your name.